What do you know about that, man? <laughs> That was pretty fun. <laughs> <laughs> the days of walking up and knocking, those are gone. They're gone. I love or, those. Or they want to, they put their hand out. Well, you know, you, know. you know what, let's go ahead and get it started real quick, and then I got something I want to chime in on that. Okay. So, I'm Chase Brenniger, host of the Kentucky Field Podcast. Got Lee McClellan. How's everybody doing? And then we got Tom. Tom, how do you say you said there's two pronunciations, right, of your last name? Hebert or Bear. Hebert, we're going to go since you said the the other would be if you're up north in Vermont or anywhere, Louisiana, French origin, then we're in Kentucky, so we're going to go Hebert. <laughs> and then Roger LaPointe is on as well. You guys are with uh, Hunters for the Hungry, and you have a new program coming out right now. That's correct. We have our uh, Whitetail Access program that Tom is heading up, and uh, it's actually been rolled out for a while, yeah. but we're really we're really starting to ramp it up and uh, advertising it and uh, put a lot more focus on that, yeah. trying, trying to connect farmers and hunters together. Well, that's something I know that a lot of uh, hunters, I mean, every hunter should be excited about that, but it would benefit farmers as well. So that's something that you're just getting the ball rolling, but it's something that you know needs to pick up steam, and it seems like everybody should be on board for it. So maybe people just need to hear about it a little bit more. So, yeah, that's what we feel too. And, yeah. You know, with, with farmers having depredation permits and yeah. Uh, not being hunters themselves, looking to how can I yeah. how can I take care of, of crop damage? Well, we've got this program. Yeah. That way we can get the, hook the farmers and our hunters to, together. Yeah. There, there was something before we actually officially got started. We were just kind of chatting, and we brought up the fact that the days of going and knocking on the doors are gone, or that a lot of times you know landowners would like something back aside from just the deer being taken off their property in exchange for hunting. And you were talking about money, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Kentucky has a law, and I'm sure you know more about this than I do, but it's a uh, uh, no liability for landowners mm -hmm. if you allow hunting for free on your property. If you charge somebody to hunt, then you can be held liable if something happens. Typically, probably not an issue. But if you're allowing people to hunt on your property without charging them, then you are not liable for any injuries or anything like that that might occur. So that that's a benefit for a landowner right there is just the fact that if you allow hunters, you don't have to worry about the liability issue of it, which seems like it would be a main barrier to me, at least. Yes. And on top of that, uh, one of the, the positive things is you're doing something good to help people who are in need, you know. Yeah. You're, 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 you're taking care of a depredation issue or, or you have too many on your property. And spiritually, it's, you know, a good thing that you're going to help feed people who, who, uh, who need well, both, both of these programs are kind of a win-win-win. It's not just a win-win, but you can see multiple angles where they help things out, right? right. So let's just real quickly, let's, let, can we explain Hunters for the Hungry? Do you mind explaining how that Because sure. people might not be that familiar with it right now. So Okay. Well, Hunters for the Hungry is a 501c program that was founded in the, by a group of uh, like-minded conservationists back in the uh, late 80s. We're seeing, we were seeing a you know, deer herd is starting to tick up. And we saw that we had a surplus of deer. And what could we do with these deer? And we had, you know, the needs there in Jefferson County with, uh, I think, one of the first groups that uh, we brought on was Wayside Christian Mission. Mm -hmm. And getting venison to the homeless there in Lowell and being able to use the resources that we have. So with that, the way Hunters for Their Hungry work, what we do is we solicit donations mm -hmm. and we pay for the processing fee for uh, 
the deer. Okay. So uh, when a hunter brings a deer in, they do not have to pay the processing fee. Mm-hmm. And we also, we, what we try to do is we'll, we'll, we'll get a uh, processor in a, in a particular county, and then we, what we like to do is keep the deer in that community. Mm-hmm. So we look at what groups that they can, uh, what groups in uh, that particular county can benefit. Okay. Uh, in the Louisville area, it's uh, Dare to Care. Okay. Wayside Christian Mission being part of that mm-hmm. is one of them. And one of the ones we just brought on is in Adair County and uh, with Showalter's Meats and Lindsay Wilson College has a soup kitchen. Mm-hmm. And in working with them, we, we, we've got a partnership together there with that, where that deer is going to be going to Lindsay Wilson and expounding their program and keeping the deer in the community there. So in a nutshell, I mean, Hunters for the Hungry, what it does is it allows a person to take a deer to a processor and you all are covering the processing fee. Mm -hmm. And then that deer is being used to feed hungry or just neat people in poverty for the most part, right? I read some some stats on on your website about the poverty level in Kentucky. And the number of people that are living in property. Tremendous need. Yeah. Yes. I mean, we're working with the Department of Agriculture and Governor Bevins mm-hmm. on the, their hunter, hunger initiative. Yeah. And they've uh, asked us to expand our program because they see the benefit in it as well, not only helping hunters but and farmers, but the, uh, the community as well. And so they, they see a big benefit out of it because the biggest thing that they have problems getting is protein. Mm-hmm. And this is what a great avenue and high quality, low fat protein. It's good. Yeah, it's good stuff. Not cheap graded meat from the lowest bottom rung. You're getting high quality stuff when you have venison. That's correct. Incredibly nutritious. To that point, we we get calls from people who have blood borne diseases, and their physicians have told them to seek out wild game. Yeah, because that's the best for them. Hmm. I didn't know that. Low fat or no fat, and, and high protein. And uh, we get quite a few of those calls, actually. And, and uh, you know, pure, there's not going to be any, you know. You can't buy it. Yeah. To... So one of the advantages there, obviously, the meat is going to good use. So that's one That's one of the wins in my book. That's the biggest win. That's the biggest. Another, another advantage to it is that it allows a hunter, like, say, myself, to take more deer than you might have typically taken, right? And in Zone 1 counties there are too many deer and one of the barriers to, to bringing that population down to where it's the healthiest and where we really want it is the fact that people don't have a use for those deer. You know, people don't want to go out there and you know, their freezer is already full. They don't have anywhere to put the meat. Most people don't want to go out and shoot a deer if they don't have a good use for the meat. So this gives people a good use for, for that meat and gives them an opportunity to take another doe or another two does off their property, which their property most likely benefits from anyway and do something good with the meat at the same time. You know, so so it's helping it's helping the hungry and it's helping the, the hunters and it's helping the landowners all at the same time. With crop damage, automobile damage, uh, healthier deer herds and feeding people. So I, I don't see how there's no, there's there's oh, it's a, a win win for everybody. In every way imaginable this is a, a good thing all around. So it's a it's a good program. I'm glad to hear it's already been successful, but you've set some pretty good goals for this year. Mm-hmm. As far as numbers go, yeah. Last year we donated. I think it was nine hundred and sixty-two deer. I think I, I read on the website upper. It was almost a thousand. It was close it was to a thousand. Just shy of a thousand. It made forty thousand pounds of venison. And yeah. This year I want to double that. Well, that two thousand deer. And that that fed, um, if I if I remember correctly, three hundred thousand. Yes. Three hundred thousand yes. meals last year. Right. Which I mean, and sauces. It's amazing. Right. 
300,000 meals, you're talking about a meal a day for almost a, a thousand people. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty impressive. Mm -hmm. But the goal is to double this year. Right. Yes. 2,000, you told me. 2,000. And, and another thing that we talked about uh, with this program is what a great way to introduce someone to deer hunting and then say, hey, you're going to do something that's beneficial to your community, yeah. that's good for, for your soul, that's going to make you feel good, is to take that doe, learn the experience of deer hunting, and then help it feed people who, who are indigent and, and need it. Not just uh, that, but I know that during, I mean, uh, to your point, I know that modern gun season a lot of the processors are backed up. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that per, before right before modern gun season is the best time to donate, right? That's correct. That's what a processor would prefer. And so I'm looking at the schedule, and before modern gun season, we have early muzzleloader and we have youth. So youth weekend could be a great opportunity to get those kids out there, get them hunting, and then make a donation because the processors are going to most likely have the room to take it, be able to process it, and you're teaching that kid something at the same time. Right. And that's something I've instilled in my grandchildren. Mm -hmm. I've got two granddaughters that, uh, that that have done that very same thing. Is The first year that they've shot, they donated to our program. And so it's really, I think it really teaches uh, kids uh, a lot yeah. to mm -hmm. be able to do that. So. Yeah, I mean, it's it, all around a good thing, and you've got this new program. And so I spoke a second ago about the, some of the benefits of this, which were feeding the hungry, um, being able to manage deer populations more effectively because you have the ability to take in and use more deer and uh, automobile and crop and crop damage, right? Correct. And so your new program, which is a farm access program, what, what was it called again? Kentucky Whitetail Access. Kentucky Whitetail Access is a, a, <clears throat> is a literal name for it. Mm -hmm. And... And this program, I read about this briefly in an article that Lee wrote, and I spoke to you briefly about it as well, but you're matching hunters and landowners, correct? Correct. How does that work? Because that's interesting. I just heard about it for the first time about a week ago, excuse me. So I don't, I'm not all in knowledgeable. So go ahead and give me the rundown on how this works. So hunters that, that need a place to hunt or wanting to find uh, more places to hunt can go on the website and fill out an application and be added to uh, a running list that we provide to landowners that also fill out an application mm -hmm. on the website. Uh, typically, we have many more hunters than we do landowners. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done this about four years now. The first year, I think we had probably 400 hunters sign up yeah. um, and only a few landowners. Mm -hmm. uh, it's taken, some while, taken a while to get some traction with the program. We probably have eight or ten landowners right now, and mm -hmm. we're down to only 150 or so hunters because okay. I think a lot of them got disillusioned because they weren't picked. Yeah. Now how that works, how, how the system works, the landowner, uh, farmer, wh whoever it might be that, that signs up, um, his information is completely private. Nobody sees it except, except us. Mm -hmm. um, he'll sign up or she'll sign up. Uh, I get a, a message from our webmaster. Uh, I review the information, make sure it's legitimate and then send them a link for the spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. They can look down through the spreadsheet, um, the hunters sign up by county, mm -hmm. but they also say <clears throat> where else they'd be interested in hunting, which, yeah. other, which other counties. Um, it gives, <clears throat> excuse me, gives a kind of a profile of who they are, what form of uh, equipment they want to use mm -hmm. during, during the hunting season to take, take the deer, whether they're gonna donate to hunters for the hungry or not. 
and then the, the landowner can decide who to call. Okay. And he can interview as many people as he wants or not interview anybody. They have completely complete control. Mm-hmm. We also have a sample of a liability waiver that the landowner can use um, even though if they don't charge, they're, they're covered by statute. Yeah. Uh, I think this helps kind of reinforce that message mm-hmm. to them because a lot of the landowners are still very nervous about, yeah. about the liability issue. Um, I hear that all the time, and we're, we're constantly fighting that. Um, there was some discussion earlier about landowners receiving payment uh-huh. to let people hunt, which brings up another uh, another issue. A lot of the firms are being leased now right. because um, because they can and very easily. But a lot of those hunters are looking for a trophy buck. They're not interested in taking dough. Uh-huh. So we want to get the message out to um, the leasing agents that are, that are writing up the contracts and the, the landowners or farmers that, hey, this is a means for you to, to uh, lower your, your doe population, mm-hmm. increase your buck size, mm-hmm. and again, it's a win-win. Yeah, there's nothing bad about that at all. I'm actually on the farm I hunt this year kind of seeing the consequences of not effectively managing that doe population. I've, I've always hunted uh, two farms in the past, and one of them is always in my mind kind of been, that's where, I, that's where I'm buck hunting at. So... I've, you know, I've never have shot a doe before I've shot a buck there. And I've gone to these other farms that have been overpopulated with does as well to take my does. And over the last two years, I've definitely seen an increase in my doe population. And after last year's season, the landowner said, Chase, you better start doing something about these does. We're going to have to get somebody else in here to hunt them. And then this year, also consequently, my the average number of inches my bucks grew the last several years because I see the same deer year after year after year. I know who they are, and I can kind of tell how they're trending. This year, they just didn't grow as much as they had in the past. I'm saying probably a 30% less increase in antler size over what it would have been. So say a buck would have put on 25 inches last year or the year before this year, I'm seeing 15 inches increase. So that's something I don't like to see at all. So this year, I promise you, I'm going to get out there and I'm going to knock down a bunch of does. And this program is going to come in handy. The hunters for the hungry one is. And I would say that if I didn't do my job and the landowner did need somebody else to come out there and take care of these does that the, the, the whitetail access program would probably come in handy for them too. Absolutely. What, uh, what counties are your farm? have you, seen farmers signing up for it, you know, my kind of uh, spread throughout the state actually okay. um i didn't know if it'd be mostly zone one or no a lot of them are two and three as okay. well as zone one um actually in years past the predominant number of uh, landowners that signed up were uh, in suburban areas huh. where they were you know they had an acre of land and they were being eaten up by the deer uh, it makes it a little bit more difficult mm-hmm. um, when you have when you're in a subdivision like that. But I mean that just kind of speaks to the need to to thin the herd out. We have some of the better properties we hunt are in subdivisions like that. In fact, I just watched an episode that Chad did on. It was the urban hunt last year. Was it the one where there was a dog barking? I mean, <laughs> yeah, it's in long long more, yeah, people walking yeah. by. Literally, all of that footage was filmed from the stand. So it's not like you could just hear the lawnmower. You could just hear the dog barking. You could see the lawnmower, and you could see the yeah. the the dog and all that stuff. So, I mean, but like you saw on that on that episode, I mean, right there, just like clockwork, about six fifteen in the evening, here comes that doe walking by. Those deer get accustomed to people and dogs and all kinds of things in areas like that. So it really doesn't affect them at all. And uh, suburban areas are some of the most overlooked, overpopulated doe, I'm not just doe, some of the most overlooked hunting areas with some of the most overpopulated densities of, of deer in general. You go to Lake Forest in Louisville, big, big neighborhood, 
deer all over that place. And that's true for pretty much any big neighborhood I know of. I know Lee lives in a neighborhood here in Franklin County, and he's got deer in his yard. Um, hey, I'll say we go on a walk in the morning, take the dogs for a walk, and uh, it's it's pretty common to hear uh, does scurrying away. There's a school and a, and a church that's really close to my house, and if you drive by there midnight or so, you'll often see does out there grazing, and <laughs> I've heard bucks snorting in my neighborhood, and you know, as we get into November. Uh, it's a, but we're near the river. But you know, Frankfurt has a lot of urban deer. I tell you what, I, I, I lived in Frankfurt in a neighborhood here last year. I just moved in February of this year to Shelby County. Now I actually live on a farm, and it would be absolutely nothing for me to get up when I lived in my house in that neighborhood and look out the backyard, and there would be deer right there in my backyard. My neighbor, she was an older woman, uh, probably in her late seventies, and she would show me pictures on her phone. She literally walked out her door one day, walked up to a deer about me to you, and was taking pictures of it with her phone in her neighborhood. And I, I don't think I've seen more than three or four deer from my house uh, living in the country in Shelby County this whole year. So, so I mean, I saw a lot more deer living in that neighborhood than <laughs> no, I do out in the country. So, it's amazing. I live in a, in a neighborhood in Jefferson County with we have about two hundred and fifty homes on half acres. Yeah, and the deer bed down in my yard. Yeah, I've got a picture of a, a newborn fawn at the front steps of my house in the landscape bed. They're becoming uh, suburban animals. Mm-hmm. We got to get out there and hunt them. Like doves. I see more doves in my neighborhood than I do in a, in a mm-hmm. dove field. Well, part of that is goes in, so your Kentucky Whitetail um, Access Program, uh, you told me earlier that Kentucky Farm Bureau is a is a partner, right? Or maybe not a partner. What's the correct word there? They're they're one of our donors. One of our a donor? Yes. And a, a reason for that is most likely the, how much money they're dishing out for auto claims each year. Mm-hmm. We were looking at the stats or trying to just really briefly before we walked in here. And I think you guys told me that the average claim was eight hundred and sixty something dollars. Correct. That's that's the figure we were told. I wish I had the exact stats because I'm sure they're available somewhere. But I saw that your likelihood of hitting a deer in Kentucky is one in one hundred and three every year, right? So one out of a hundred and three drivers on the road is getting, on average, a check for eight hundred and sixty bucks sent to them. Mm-hmm. I mean that adds up to a lot of money. I'm not sure exactly mm-hmm. how many drivers we have on the road here in Kentucky, but. I can tell you, if you stand out there and watch 64 for an hour, you'll see uh, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of auto damage drive by you every, every mm-hmm. couple of minutes because that just adds up so quickly. That's why they have an interest, though. One thing Roger mentioned earlier is we put an ad in the uh, Kentucky Farm Bureau magazine that uh-huh. goes out to, <clears throat> to all our farmers. Uh-huh. And uh, it was a picture of a, a doe standing in the soybean field. Yeah. And we've tried other ads, but that one caught people's attention, mm-hmm. and we started getting phone calls. And getting a little bit more traction from from landowners mm-hmm. because it is such an issue, and that's just obviously just one company. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, when I scout an area to deer hunt, I look for crop damage. That's one of the ways that you know, if, if it's a standing soybean field, and I'm out there looking at a new piece of property, I'm looking for topped leaves. I'm looking for just stems, um, and that'll tell me the deer hitting this area and they're they're feeding. And what happens is those deer get out there and they'll hit those soybeans early, and they'll just start taking the leaves off of them. Well, that stunts the soybean plant's ability to grow. Mm-hmm. And a soybean plant, I mean, it has quite a few leaves on it, but it doesn't have that many to a deer. You know, a deer can pick through those soybeans pretty quickly. And you'll see areas of the field, I mean, I'm talking entire acre patches of the field where the soybeans are just stunted and there's nothing there. So, um, let's see. 50 and with s- margins the way they are in farming anymore, that, that, you know, that, that stinks. Right. I know I'm going to get this number wrong uh, in some way, shape, or form, but 56 pounds to a bushel, right? And you're talking soybeans are about, a, if I'm not mistaken, maybe 120 bushels to an acre. 
is is what I think, and I think soybeans are going for around eight bucks a bushel right now. So 120 times eight, um, we're talking what like eight thousand dollars per acre. Is that what I'm? Is that is that correct? Is that okay? Let me think. Eight dollars, hundred bushel. No, so we're only talking about nine hundred dollars to the acre, right? Yeah. And if you look at the amount of money, that's money brought in from selling the soybeans. That doesn't take into account planting and spraying and labor costs and fuel, all this stuff. Fuel so, costs. Yeah. So when those deer go out there and they destroy that acre of soybeans, you're in the you're in the red on on that. All of a sudden, you're taking a loss on that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, you'll see, especially late in the season, uh, areas of the field that haven't been combined where they left the beans standing, and that's so they can do a uh, crop insurance claim on them. They'll leave that area standing where those deer heavy browsed and destroyed it. And so they aren't even, they're saying, I'm not even going to combine that. I'm not even going to harvest it. It's not worth my time. I'm going to file an insurance claim on it and get my money that way. And then they'll just end up bush hogging after that and leaving that on the ground. But it's costing a lot of people money, uh, the deer damages. It's costing farmers money. We're talking about uh, insurance companies, drivers, pretty much everybody's paying for it in one way or another. And your programs are a way to help alleviate some of that pressure. Right. That's correct. What am, what am I missing here? I know there's something I'm not thinking of. One of the things that Roger and I talked about is you don't have to uh, be involved with deer to help the program. Uh, one of the things, yeah. you can go to the Kentucky Hunters for the Hungry website, and you can make donations just to help, correct? And that's you told correct. me Absolutely. for every $75 donation, that's 400 meals, yeah. correct? That's correct. Well, I don't know if your money will ever go further. Yeah. yeah. 75 I mean, bucks to feed 400 people. To feed, I mean, that's incredible return on investment. Yeah. And one of the other things we're starting to, Lee, uh, is we started a GoFundMe account, and we're going to be uh, rolling that out here uh, within the next week or two. So that'll be another avenue that people can go I think out. That'd be and, an interesting little tidbit for the outdoor section of our magazine, Outdoor News, don't you think? I would think so. I've got a question for you. Um, now, the $75 is uh, to process a deer, right? Is that roughly what you're paying? Uh, we, we've got... Two different ways. We okay. pay either pay by the pound, the dollar fifty a pound, or sixty five sixty five dollars a deer. Okay, I was curious if the processors gave you any kind of a discount on the processing. It, it is that, that that is they give us a stance. Most processors, I know one processor, Jefferson County is charging a hundred bucks a deer. Okay, and they're going getting sixty five a deer. So there is. They're, they're, they're giving you a bit of a discount, but at the same time, I know that you turn all the meat into hamburger. You grind it. That's correct. So there, it has to be a little bit easier to process a deer when that's the outcome. Because mm-hmm. you can just chunk the meat off. You don't have to worry about specific cuts or anything like that's that. That's correct. The labor's not as intense. So you're saving them a little bit of a time. They're saving you a little bit of money. Right. So everybody's kind of working together there. And I mean, like you said, using it as grinding the meat is the best way to use it because you can use it in so many different ways. Right. Chili, chili soup, stews, you know, anything to make it make that stretch farther it hurts me to my soul to think about tenderloin being ground up but at the same time i mean it's a whole lot harder to to prepare tenderloin when you're trying to feed the masses mm-hmm, correct than it is to throw some uh well, it'll improve the quality of the ground though don't you think? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's probably <laughs> yeah. true yeah that's great chili no no doubt yeah, tenderloin chili i, I, I love i love to marinate the tenderloins and dales for you know a couple hours and then grill them god Good, I, medium rare, fantastic. I actually had tenderloin. Just as good for, as filet. I had tenderloin for breakfast this morning. I figured I, I was hungry. And I didn't have any. I actually I brought some Dunkin' Donuts with me and I opened them up. And I'd been on the gorge camping this weekend, and that's where I had them at. And I opened the box up, and there were bugs stuck to the glaze. And <laughs> things like that. so I t- tossed them out, and I said, "Well, I got some tenderloin and rice in there." So now got me in the spirit for this podcast, eating deer for breakfast. But. Yeah. 
now I ate my lunch it's already. It's not just for breakfast anymore. No, no. <laughs> Venison. <laughs> now I, I ate my lunch already, so I've got to go out to eat now. Oh, well. Anyway, yeah, so I'm going to take advantage of the, the first program, Hunters for the Hungry, that we talked about. But I can think of a lot of people, landowners and hunters included, who could definitely benefit from the second program. And like I said, you got the hunter signed up. It's really just an issue of getting the landowners to sign up now. And the problem is a lot of landowners are busy. I'm sure you know a lot of the barriers to, to getting them signed up. You've already thought, thought them through a little bit. What are, what are some of those that you're facing with the landowners? Just being, being busy, not having the... Well, I think the unknown yeah. for most of them and the liability issue is, is forever present. Um, some people are busy. Some want to hear from other landowners that mm -hmm. have had... Uh, some testimonials. A good experience. So that's our, our next step is mm -hmm. to get a testimonial from a landowner that's, that's had a really good experience and actually have him do a, a video or a podcast for yeah. us mm -hmm. and encourage other, other farmers to do the yeah. same. I think it'll really start to snowball. And I say we're starting to get a little traction now, but it's still it's still tough. <clears throat> and with uh, so many leases out there, it's, yeah. it's made it tremendously hard for us. And so many of those leases, too, are out of state. So. Exactly. Now, having said that, I just spoke to a man from Tennessee who was uh, leasing a farm in the Livingston area, and uh, there's 16 guys on this lease, and they mm. can't take full beer back to Tennessee, so they're going to end up donating most of them. Why can't they take them back to Tennessee? <clears throat> because it's CD, uh, C CWD. Or a certified yeah, surveillance. So it has to be completely processed, and a lot of them are just running up to hunt the weekend and headed back. So. Mm -hmm. We are a CWD-free state, though, correct? Correct, but, but, but the, the legislation is in Tennessee. Yeah, I don't know. I was just wondering because our legislation says that you can bring a deer across state boundaries if it's from another CWD free state. Yeah. So, for instance, I can't remember if it's Indiana or Ohio. One of the two is not CWD free, so mm -hmm. you can't bring a deer Ohio. from it. So, Ohio, you cannot bring a deer to Kentucky from, but Indiana, you can. In Tennessee apparently just changed the regulation this okay. year. Just with all of them around them, I mean, it's probably a smart move because mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I didn't realize that. I thought since we were CWD free, we'd probably be. But I was just basing that on our legislation. I wasn't thinking. Everyone's about, being very careful. Today. I hunt Illinois. Yeah. And I can't bring a deer from Illinois into Kentucky. Lucky you. I, no, I'd like to. I'd like to hunt Illinois. I never have, but I always hear really good things. Of course, Kentucky. And I mean, we. I think a lot of our hunters here take it for granted how good we can have. Can you bring it. the skull and skull plate and all? Can you bring that across? You can if it's free of brain matter. Brain matter. Brain, yeah. Basically, no spinal column or no brain matter so i the only reason i know this because i was listening to gabe the other day and if you mm -hmm. want to bring a deer back from ohio you basically have to um european style um, yeah, mount yeah. the skull or you know basically just make sure it's clean you could probably boil it and bring it back that mm -hmm. way i'm not sure but that's a that's probably a good thing to have in place cwd something that we don't want to mess with no, no. did we is that what we had back in 2007 or 8 was that when it was blue tongue that oh, was yeah. blue tongue yeah we had a yeah so blue I'm tongue right. that year I'm ehd right. yeah, yeah. Hemorrhagic disease, and it seems like, and we had it again two years ago. Uh, yeah, we had it did last yeah. year. Yeah, last year. BHD. Yeah, that was a slightly different disease, though, right? EHD and well, blue a lot of people call EHD blue tongue. Yeah, and and I believe blue tongue is actually a cattle disease, isn't it? Well, Just blue tongue it's a, it's referred to as blue tongue because of a symptom of it, which mm -hmm. is that the tongue turns blue because it's not oxygenated. If I'm not mistaken, the the, the deer is not getting oxygen to its brain and to uh, that part of its body, so its tongue turns. But whenever blue. I've used that term around our deer biologists, I've always been corrected. So, <laughs> no, well, I'd say, what I was saying is, since it's a they symptom, HD. since it's a symptom, I'm sure that there's more than one disease that mm -hmm. could display that same yes. symptom. So, if you're just referring to something as a symptom, then 
it probably applies to several things. Yes. But the correct term is whatever our biologist probably wants yeah, you to EHD. say. EHD. And that's what we had last year, mm-hmm. which is not good. No, it wasn't, especially. I got very lucky. Well, I got very lucky being here in this part of the state. We didn't get hit by quite as hard out in uh, eastern Kentucky. A few more streams and waterways that dried up and got those mud banks. Some more of those midges were uh, infecting deer. I just hope uh, nothing like that happens again for a while. But that's part part of that is overpopulation of deer that spreads disease. Mm -hmm. Correct. So I mean, this is if it it could happen. I don't want to. I'm busting out the scare factor here. I don't want to scare people, but places with more deer are more likely to have a bad event Mm -hmm. happen because populations are so much, you know, uh, denser. Deer so much more interactive with each other. You got a good likelihood of uh, of something spreading badly. So someone probably a pretty high risk for something bad happening if it's going to happen anywhere. But I'm, I'm not predicting something horrible happening. I think this year, though, we're going to be okay. This year? Since, since it's, uh, we're 10 inches above rain and record amount of rain right. for September. Yeah. It's usually the drought situation. Yeah, that that's, it's drought that, that drives that. Yeah, we have had a ton of rain this year. Uh, it's It's been, in, I mean, I'm, I'm mowing like it's July, and here it is the last day of September yesterday, and it's my yard looks like July. You know, yeah. it's crazy. Well, not just that. I wonder if that really, really hard, hard winter we had this past year is going to help at all, too. I don't. I don't know. People always say that these hard freezes and frost killing mosquitoes, but I've been eating up by them just oh, as bad. This worse this year than I've ever seen. That's because of the water, probably this year. There's been pooled water all over the ground. Or there's areas that are holding water right now that I never had seen water before in mm-hmm. my entire life. So that's probably uh, giving mosquitoes more places to breed and things like that. But I didn't know how it would affect the midges and, and bugs like that. That carry disease. I know we actually have an uptick in tick-borne illness this year as well. Sure didn't seem to bother the ticks this year. No, no. ticks are horrible. So what, how do those bugs survive when the ground freezes a foot deep? I don't know. I was hoping it would knock them out too. Everybody yeah. says that. But. That's one of my favorite days every fall is that first hard frost. Mm-hmm. When I walk outside and I see that, for, I mean, that is when I'm in the woods and just 100 percent enjoy myself mm-hmm. you like that too tom <laughs> yeah. yeah i'm just telling roger that earlier yeah, yeah. the first hard frost okay. is a is a holiday yeah it is in this year it's god it seems like summer's when i mean here it is the first of october and it's going to be in the mid 80s on yep. the weekend yep it's uh, uh i hear people saying all the time my girlfriend's one that's guilty of this she'll say oh you know summer's almost over it's going to start getting cooler she's sad about it and i'm thinking bring it on yeah like, yeah anglers and hunters are like hallelujah yeah right. i'm ready to go start hitting the farm ponds again i'm ready to see my breath in the morning i love that crisp morning there's nothing like being up early on when it's just crisp okay. like that you that's can all fantastic. you can always add layers yeah you know i mean when you're burning up there's not much there's not yet you can't take off skin so uh hunters for the hunger you said you're slightly up this year and your number of deer turned into this point correct you did looking good so far just anecdotal uh i was dove hunting uh on september 1st and a uh, friend of mine who is happened to be a processor and uh a deer was turned in that morning good so that was our I was able to witness the first deer. You were there. And I was there. So there you go. Great. You go give him a little pat on the back and tell well, him I thank you. I mentioned his name on uh, Facebook. Okay, good deal. So, well, yeah. good deal. Mm-hmm. I went dove hunting yesterday. Just speaking of dove hunting, I'm going to get off topic. Did you dove hunt as well, Tom? I did. Dove hunting, I mean, it's a blast. But mm-hmm. I went yesterday, and Lee, you're going to be so jealous. Uh, I, first of all, I think they're flying a little bit better right now than they were a week or two ago. Good. I'm not sure why that is, but I'm, you know, I live close to the public field in Shelby County and I walked out the front door yesterday and I heard shots up there and a buddy of mine called and asked me if I wanted to hunt. 
and we were hunting uh, an 83 acre hemp field and part of the hemp field had been cut and laid over before this big section of rain we had mm -hmm. and while we were out there yesterday hunting they were out there cutting the rest of it so it had all those birds pushed up and and pushing them around yes i am jealous yeah <laughs> there was only four of us out there and uh i didn't get there until after five o'clock and uh, two of the guys had their limits within 10 minutes and took off but it was interesting one of the best things that happened that whole day as far as making the birds fly was one of uh, the landowner's buddies is a pilot and he has a small airplane and he came over real low and buzzed those fields in his airplane he did like three passes real quick and all the birds were up and flying and it seemed like somehow those birds just knew exactly where to fly in line of sight with that airplane to keep me from getting a shot mm -hmm. but it bumped them up and pushed them hard and I how many you getting uh, limits so all right. 60 and that's just we probably could have shot a lot more but it was it was it was really good and I, I don't know if it's the weather if maybe the rain recently had them acting up but I know it'd been slow for a couple of weeks mm -hmm. there but and a lot of plates have been slow all season I yeah. it's either you know Rich as Roosevelt or yeah. or as a church mouse and not yeah. much in between. Possibly, yeah. possibly think about looking to get back out there. It's going to be hot this week. Even though it's the first week of, week of October, I would rather be in the deer woods mm -hmm. deer hunting right now. And especially since October, the leaves are going to start changing. This is the time of year when I really start seeing deer up and moving. But if, you, if you've got a place to go duff hunt, maybe think about it. Did your shoot go pretty well, Roger, on the first? Uh, yes, it did. Is that in Spencer County? It was in Spencer County. That's what I thought yeah. you told me. Yeah. Very good. So I'm sure people listening probably have a few questions about, because obviously we want them to turn in deer. That's the goal. And right. people should want to turn in deer themselves because it's going to help them out, help everybody out. But if they want to do that, how do they go about doing it? Well, Chase, first, has got to be a legally harvest, harvested animal. Yeah, call that bad boy in, confirmation Call it number. in and take it to your processor. What we'd like to see, the, the weights on our deer have been trending downward mm -hmm. lately, where it was uh, higher, getting 50 pounds of meat off a of deer. Now we're getting... Uh, the average is around 39. I wonder why that is. You know, I don't know. That's a very strange number. I never well, had. Well, some of it may have to do with the herd. Again, yeah. we yeah. have That's so true. many more deer, but they're smaller deer. Mm -hmm. That's true. That's like exactly what I just touched on a minute ago. Right. So our weights are trending. That's a really interesting to me. And then what, what, what we prefer is, you know, if you're going to shoot a deer with us in mind, yeah. act like it's something you're, you're going to be giving. So I don't for I don't want to sound. We will we'll take anything. Yeah. But if you've got a deer that's all shot up, all the hand you got, you know, both shoulders are shot. It's gut shot, and it's shot through the hams. That's not really the deer we're looking for. I want to know what that hunter was doing. <laughs> well, exactly. We're looking. Yeah, we want to get as mo as much meat as we can. So we'd like to have something that's yeah. You know, I'm sure that you would eat yourself. Yeah, basically. absolutely. And treat it like it that way. You know, field dress it. Make sure you know you do it properly, and uh, if it's warm, put some ice in that cavity and get it to the processor as quickly as possible. Yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah. Makes a lot of sense. And so, how do they find a processor? Because not a hundred percent of all processors do this, do no, they? No, we don't. Uh, not every processor is on board in Kentucky. You can re go to our website. Okay, huntersforthehungry.org or com. K Y info. Yeah. Hunters for the, or you can just S Google it. Just get on Google. KY Hunters for the Hungry. Yeah, because I did notice when I initially looked up Hunters for the Hungry that there are chapters in several states. I looked at Virginia and uh, on accident first, and then I went back to Kentucky. So just get on the website and find a processor. Right, and then uh, from there, just call to make sure that, one, there's still, that we give each processor a quota. Okay. Because we only have so much fun to go around. Yeah. yeah. So 
uh, let's say I'll pick on Scott Herndon. We give Scott X amount, okay. and he may fill up quite fast, especially when it comes to gun season. Yeah. He may not. He may have reached, reached his quota already. So you need to call and make sure that uh, he's able to uh, take that deer. Okay. And also this early season, uh, what I would do is call if you have a certain processor in mind. Call to make sure that they've got facilities that you can drop a deer off, uh, like a walk-in box that you mm-hmm. can drop it off yeah. there to make sure that. Uh, that deer won't spoil. Yeah, mm-hmm. their, their times of operation is real important. Mm-hmm. Right. I know Scott has a, a walk-in uh, cooler. Mm-hmm. Uh, Joe Long there with CJ Processors in Louisville has a, a walk-in cooler that you can just drop deer off uh, that way. Now, if this is just a curious question, well, actually, I want to continue on that because we're kind of going through the process. You and you harvest a deer. You know, you field dress it, treat it as if it was one you were going to take back and, and feed your own family with. Uh, find a processor on the website, call a processor, make sure they can take it, right? Correct. Now, from the hunter's point of view, that's the, the process is over. They've done their job, right? But I want to know what happens on the back end. So how does that processor get the meat? Okay, the processor has has a deer. Okay. They skin it, grind it, yeah. high, and freeze it. Okay. And then once they get X amount done, they'll call... Either call us or call whoever we have. Uh, uh, well, like in Jefferson County, yeah. call Dare to Care. Yeah. So they actually call. It goes directly they, from the processor to, to the community. To the community. So like uh, Lindsey Wilson will. Uh, Show Walters will call Lindsey Wilson. Lindsey Wilson will arrange to have the meat picked up and, and okay. dropped off to them. Okay. So I was kind of wondering how that works. So I'm sure that the hunters for the hungry meat is a pretty good portion of a lot of these organizations. Uh, meat that they bring in, correct? Correct. So, so they they have it pretty figured out. They got probably have a system where they know they need to run and grab that from so and so or so and so. And it's probably almost like a when gun season comes around or close to it, probably a weekly round for them or something like that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Most processors don't have enough freezer space to hold a large. Yeah. Well, that's what I was curious. I'm sure that the they would like to get what this is where i was going initially i'm sure they would like to get that in and out as quickly as possible yes and it probably doesn't take a long time to, to process a dough the, the longest part of the processing uh time for the processors is packaging okay because it has to be packaged in one to two pound amounts. oh okay so that very in. small packages so that they're uh, the, the food banks are in a position to give them to individuals Mm. as well as families and missions. And that was something yeah. that I had on my mind, how it is pra- packaged. Um, because I was wondering, I don't know that much about the food industry, to be 100% honest with you. So I was thinking there have got to be some regulations as far as distributing meat, right? Are there any, like some, some stuff in order to sell has to be certified. Well, the deer process isn't regulated by okay. the FDA. Good, good. Uh, USDA. So uh, it just has to be done in a clean manner. Uh, we usually visit the processors and make sure they have a clean operation yeah. before we add them to the list. I'm sure they want to anyway. We're always looking for new processors, by the way. If somebody out there knows yeah. of someone, we've we've lost uh, a bunch of them due to retirement, basically. We yeah. have no one in Oldham County right now. No one is, in Oldham County, which right. is one of the most heavily populated areas. Which is crazy. Uh, did uh, just, just sign up an outfit in Henry County, um, Trackside uh, butcher shop, which okay. is excellent. They'll pick up some of the slap. But I mean, the, do you have uh, one in Shelby County? We do. B and N, or is it a different one? Yes. B and N. Yeah. Good deal. Okay. That's where I'll be taking mine. Then we're going to stop and see him on the way back. I uh, I live three miles from from B and N on the road. He does a so. huge number of deer for us. That's where I took my very first uh, deer I ever harvested back when I was eleven or 
12, I took it to B&N. I told that story on the last mm-hmm. podcast, because I didn't know how to clean it. Nobody in my family did, so we took it to B&N and had it worked up. But pretty much since then, I've done mine myself. But I will be making a trip to B&N this year with one now that I know that's where you're at. Great. And I guess your question on what, what the uh, com- com- communities do with it, mm-hmm. basically what happens, uh, a family will come in, they'll get, be given a pound or a pound and a half of venison, they'll be given like pasta noodles, okay. spaghetti, spaghetti sauce, mm-hmm. anything anything that they can use to make that meal, and that's all in, in one package Yeah, handed to them, so they've got a meal. Yeah, that's, that's where awesome. it comes in handy. I mean, honestly, when I'm cooking, spaghetti is probably the easiest meal to make a bunch of that lasts a long time for me at the house, and I can take one pound of ground beef, and I'll or venison. I, I haven't ground much venison in the past because I don't have a grinder. And like I said, I process my own deer, so that's just how it's easier for me. But if you took a pound of ground venison, even me, who really likes to eat meat, could put that in pasta sauce and, and cook some spaghetti, and I'd probably get five or six meals out of that myself. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, or the fixings to make chili. Yeah. Or tacos. Or yeah, whatever you want. Anything that you can do with ground meat. A huh. meatloaf. Yeah. It goes a long. It goes a long way when you when you eat it ground though, especially right. in some pasta or something like that. I've been going through tenderloin like crazy, and I mean, I, I would get much more out of it if I was mixing it with some pasta or something like that. I was actually going to try some. I was going to try putting some in the crock pot and then pulling it and then putting Alfredo on it and doing it that way and then putting it over pasta. I don't know if it, I'm just brainstorming over here. Mm-hmm. I like to try to cook. About figure something out, but so start to finish, I want to walk through this process because I'm just kind of curious and I want to make sure I have it right. Hunter harvests the deer, Phil dresses it, treats it just like he would if it was one of his own. Gets on the Hunters for the Hungry website, finds a processor, calls the processor to make sure they can take the deer. They can takes the deer there, drops it off. Hunter's done. Processor processes that deer into they grind it and they package it in one to two pound packages, right? Mm-hmm. And then once they get a certain amount, they call the mission or whatever organization is going to pick it up there to care. Lindsay Wilson college or just a few examples, Wayside mission and, and those other two I mentioned and they come and pick it up and they either use it to make food. Or they give out like a soup kitchen type deal or they give it to individuals Correct. to cook with. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's pretty self-explanatory. The only thing that I would caveat there, I would call the processor first, first before you yeah. harvest a deer. Oh, before you harvest it. Yeah. Yes. Oh. That way, you have one place to go. You got to be feeling confident. Yes. I'm going to go kill a deer this afternoon. I just want to make sure you can take it. Yeah, well, that makes sense. And what what's the average quota for a processor, if you don't mind me asking? Is that, it probably depends on... It, it runs a gamut. You know, like we, Webb's and Painville, which has been with us since the inception of the program, is, what, 150 deer? Oh, dang. That's and a lot. It, Herndon's is huge. Uh, there is one in uh, Christian County, uh but R R and R deer processing okay. is, is up there too. So let's say yeah, is ninety. I mean, we've got yeah. some mom and pop organizations that are only ten or twenty. But so let's just say a uh, hundred deer. Well, I just I'm, I'm just running an average. That's probably not even average. But a hundred deer at a processor, you're getting forty pounds of meat per deer on average, which is down. That is uh, forty thousand pounds. Of meat, right? No, four, is that 40? That's 4,000 pounds. 4,000. 4, my math is bad today. Uh, 4,000 pounds of meat, and last year you took 40,000 pounds of meat total, right? Mm-hmm. And made 300,000 meals with it. So that's 30,000 meals. Am I correct there? Yeah, 30,000. Yeah, on average per processor that you're getting, about 30,000 mm-hmm. meals. So that's, I mean, that's pretty that's impressive. formidable. That's a lot. Yeah, you're talking about Herndon's, and what was the first one you mentioned? Webb's? It's Webb's and Payneville. You're talking about 45,000 meals a lot of people take coming through there. Yeah. They make a, I think they're the ones that make such 
delicious salami. Yeah, that's one of their Yeah. So I got a, how did you two get involved with it? Because I know I think I read online on your website when I was visiting that uh, Kentucky Hunters from the Hungry started in '88. Correct. Is that correct? A gentleman named Mike Allman uh-huh. uh, was running a uh, taxidermy shop uh-huh. in, in in Louisville. Uh-huh. Actually, start was his idea and thought about it. So, and uh, I had been friends with Mike for years, and actually he did some of my taxidermy work yeah. for me. And when I found out he was doing that. I started donating from, from the beginning. Yeah, so you were donating at ADA. I've been donating and been on the board for a little bit as well, okay. and then in and out. And then uh, they, when I retired from uh, the corporate world, uh-huh. uh, I was asked if, hey, would you like to take over the executive yeah. director of that? And I said, and he's busier now than when he worked. Yeah, yeah. 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 Be careful what you ask for. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, how many deer do you think you've donated over uh, the years? years? Oh, my. Oh, uh I always donate the first deer I kill. The first? I've, I've done that for several years now. It's a good I, idea. I would say, oh, I don't know, 20. 20 deer? That's pretty and good. just pulling the number. That's, one, that's just one a year. No, no, that's, yeah. that's, that's a I'll lot. I'll have to go back and look at telecheck results. That way I can uh, yeah. look at my profile and see how many deer. But that's yeah, convenient that you can do that now, huh? Oh, I love telecheck. Yeah, I'd like the, so. the, my heart, my profile is great. Me too. Yeah, that's learning it up. The only thing I'd really like to see is able to, I'd love to be able to upload a picture Oh, that deer I shoot that way because you know what deer did I shoot back in 1988? Yeah, there it is. There's that doe or there's that buck. You know, yeah. it'd be nice to see that. Well, you think that since things are going more digital, more online, everybody's I've, everybody's calling their their deer in from their smartphone, which has a camera on it. So Correct. why not? Why not upload a picture? If you can do a an online telecheck, which is an option, right? You don't have to actually call the number. You can get online and check a deer that way too. That's correct. You could probably upload a picture there. I wonder I who we why you could. I wonder who we got to talk to, Lee. Hey. We better not speak for our crew back there. They might be coming and trying to yeah. split our head. Well, no, I wonder. Of course, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> my crew was in IT, so uh, that's that would be the big downfall. It's, it's downfall would be data storage. Data storage. Yeah. yeah. Well, I wonder. I'm just thinking as a, from a hunter's perspective, I was thinking about it would be cool to because when my profile came out, I could actually get on there and I could look back the whole way and see my harvest results from the year I started hunting. It would be cool to go back and upload pictures. <laughs> but yeah, well, look at it. You've got a, a time stamp. Yeah. You've got where it was taken at. What a good law enforcement thing mm-hmm. as well. Of course, don't put that in there probably. No, it's going to stay. That's fine. It would be. Mm-hmm. It would be. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't think you'd ever make it required to upload the picture, no. but it would help. You know, we are collecting more data now on our buck harvest, so we want to know uh, inside spread. Or is it inside spread? We want to spread of the antlers a number of points. So trying to collect some more data, I'm not sure if the pictures would probably be too much to go through and actually get the data from, but it's, uh, it's an interesting idea. I'm going to keep tossing around in my head until I bug somebody about it. And yeah. Probably won't get anywhere. But. Speaking of ideas, you know, one of the things that once we – once we get this program, and hopefully I can I can get more traction with it, I'd love to be able to see Asian carp oh. and being able to you, you, mm-hmm. utilize. We talked about that before. Yeah, yeah. utilize that, that as well. I wonder how that would go. Yeah, well, there's definitely the Asian carp thing. is a, We have plenty of carp, that's, that's for sure. But we'd have to get, you know. Commercial anglers. Commercial, and commercial ang- anglers if there is the processing ca- uh, capacity there. And then taking that resource from Western Kentucky in, in freighted trucks and bringing it to, you know. The thing with Asian carp yeah. is they are more unwanted than deer. Okay, so your deer are overpopulated. So a deer aren't completely unwanted, but a number of them are. You could say the number over the top 
is mm-hmm. something that people want to get rid of. Asian carp, the whole dang thing is, Every is bit on, of yeah, them. right. And so everybody wants them gone. So that's perfectly fine. No need to. Uh, yeah, everybody wants them gone. No need to convince people that they need to go right. But the problem there is the payout's different. So for a deer hunter, they get out there, they enjoy what they're doing. They don't necessarily need anything for their time other than the ability to get out there and do it. But with Asian carp, I just see there being a small barrier to getting people out there and getting them. Because commercial fishermen are paying for boats and paying for fuel. So they would almost need something in return to... Well, I would would envision us paying for that as well. Yeah. But... You know, again, getting the donor base to yeah. able to fund it. Well, if the other thing, listen, was, oh man, what a resource if we could. I'll be honest out. with you, with Asian carp down there, and like they are, there is no need for a food shortage uh, in right. in the area because right. if we, if we have a food shortage, that just means we aren't doing what we need to do with there. Silver carp, you know, the the, the one th- little bit of a barrier to them is is a lot of the meat is is bone infused. Yeah, but that top part of the silver carp is it's delicious. I don't know what we had at the. Uh, sampler this year but it was great it was yeah, called blue snapper yeah. yeah they called it blue snapper <laughs> but i bet it's silver carp they call it silver fin they're trying to market it so yeah. yeah but that top fillet you get off of it is it was really good. good that was a silver that we had though I'm, I'm, yeah. i would feel confident it was great it was great we were at the event as well oh really what we saw was people were going over the catfish and getting that yeah yeah no it's so, good it's good it's a really good fish well the, I, when i first tried it it was at the sampler and i, I first you know i was excited to get up there and try it because i just wanted to try it but after i got back there and i ate it i was like i think i'm gonna go for more of that yeah, I've, I've, I've double dipped you know, oh, yeah. yeah it's good yeah no complaints there and uh, that's you know we have this uh carp processing video this asian carp video on youtube that's one of our best videos out there it's a, the first carp madness is what it was a commercial fishing event have you guys watched that, that? I, I wrote an article for it but that brings up a good point chase why not these bow fishing tournaments they have out there or the bow hunt or bow fishermen yeah. why can't they donate i don't know what happened there with uh well yeah because you got to get it on ice quick yeah. no that's but. true a lot of people go out there and shoot a lot of a lot of carp uh bow fishing and what do the, generally they don't do anything with them at all no they don't which uh that is interesting why can't we get individuals to donate that's a good point. I should think about that. We just did the Carp Madness 2, which was a bow fishing event. I actually covered that, and I was on the boat, and that was pretty pretty fun. I mean, even though weather conditions weren't great, we had a tornado in the middle of it and uh, kind of put a damper on things. When I actually did get out on the river in that boat after the fact and saw these fish jump in, and I mean, literally one of the guys on my boat, we were up there, and we were just, you know, it was calm, the water was still, and he was just up there uh, with his bow in hand. And then just like an explosion of fish jump out, people getting smacked by them and slinging arrows, and it went from zero to a hundred real quick. Whenever, whenever that happened, Asian carp are crazy. I'm glad to think that you guys are looking at that too, because we get ten comments a day on YouTube on that video with people saying, "Use them for this, use them for this, use them." And one of the most common comments is, "Feed the hungry." So mm-hmm. to think that you guys are actually looking at that as a possible avenue in the future—that's something that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Both fishermen involved. Very cool. Very good. Well, you guys got anything else you want to talk about? We've been going for about an hour now. I was going to wrap it up. You guys send people somewhere. Uh, what's bring us some deer. Bring us some deer. I, I think everybody, honestly, I'm going to tell people to do it because you're. it's a, it's a win, win, win. And we could probably throw another win on there, too. I think the only thing for me as stepping into this role, my biggest uh, fear is not being able to pay for a hunter to bring a deer okay. in, so, so I'm really looking for those donations. Yeah, donations. Because I'm one of the, one of the complaints we've always had is, I hey, I tried to donate, yeah, but the quote is full, and I can pay for it myself, yeah, but yeah. most hunters won't, yeah. Mm-hmm. So 
I want to get those donations. Where, where do you solicit donations uh, for the most? Are they corporate donations or are they individual donations? We've, we've had individuals. Okay. Uh, we've had corporate. Uh, a lot. We've had faith-based donations. Uh, large churches will, will donate. Mm -hmm. uh, it it kind of runs a gamut. We, we're not proud. We're, we'll go anywhere. Now, if a hunter did want to pay, and, and there are some that will, uh, they can write the check to Hunters for the Hungry. And that's a tax-deductible donation, Okay. and that can be used to process the deer. You know, I'm going to need to look in my uh, Rolodex, which is something I don't have at all. That's just a term I like to use. But I used to work with Wayside and several other uh, organizations down in Louisville. And I want to see – what we did was we supported them through an event on our, of our own. It was called Sweaty Sheep's Merry Christmas 5K. And I put on several events. Uh, another one was uh, – the Louisville Underpants Run was one of my events back in the day. So I used to do, <laughs> it was a fun one. It was a fun one. Oh, God. <laughs> but, we, uh, so, but we worked with the, the, some of the same organizations, and we worked to fund them. So I'm wanting to see, are there organizations out there who would work to support these organizations like Wayside that could front that cost, that could make the donation to Hunters for the Hungry to help get that food for, for those missions, you know what I mean? Is there an organization that would support Wayside that way? If a group decides to donate a, a particular amount of money, for example, to to our group, yeah. we can redirect that meat back to them, Okay, which happens in different areas of the right. state. Yeah. Say if someone in, uh, I'll pick a county, Livingston County, they want the, their processing to be the, the, the meat that's the, the money they donate, mm -hmm. the processing to go and stay in Livingston County, mm -hmm. we can arrange to make sure that that happens. Okay. So church groups, for example, yeah, raise, raise money, and then they have a, their own little food bank or pantry, mm -hmm. and they'll ask that it be redirected back to them, and we can do that. Have you thought, and uh, like I said, we're on the podcast right now, but I'm just brainstorming. Have you thought, uh, you know, a lot of pastors, a lot of churches have sportsmen's groups, or the, the pastors themselves are outdoorsmen. Have you thought about talking to them one-on-one -on -one and seeing if they could Mention well, something for you. Southeast Christian Church there in Louisville is yeah. huge with that. Huge. In their, uh, their sportsman's group and uh -huh. their wild game feed, that was one of the first donors that we had. Yeah, because yeah, I'm sure that you know there's a little bit of power there in the yeah. in that community. to you, know, you can get people on board uh, a little bit easier than you could just approaching individuals. You can get somebody to talk to a group of people yeah. like that. So, yeah, a sportsman's group like that would be a great place to go and right. solicit donations or deer, right. either or. Good deal. I'll tell you what, I appreciate you guys coming on. I promise you I will be making some donations this year because i got to keep that landowner happy. i got to get my doe population back into balance. i got to get my bucks healthier again and uh, make everybody happy. So I appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, it's been good. And it has been. As yeah. soon as I make that uh, that first donation, I'll say my next doe I, I take will be that donation. I'm going to go ahead and just say that right now. It depends on how long I want to hold out for a buck or if that unlucky doe just happens to walk by and look my way to start blowing and stomping. And we might be getting a donation earlier than later. So. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I'm sure the processor will appreciate that as well. Yeah, I'll be going to B&N. So I'm sure they've got room right now, but I'll go ahead and try to make that quick so I'm, I know I can get that in there. Appreciate you guys coming on. Thanks, yes, Thank you.